if I'm sitting here and I'm uncomfortable, would it be more comfortable to put my feet on a yoga block? That is an act of self-love. What boundary do I need to hold? What hard conversation do I need to have? What is the thing that is going to nurture my spiritual growth in this moment? And there's always a chance for that. Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. This podcast is a place of exploration to learn and grow from each other on the journey to becoming our best selves. My own journey has taken me from a decade-long corporate finance career to living in my dharma as a self-love coach. I help people move from an unfulfilled career to following their dharma into a meaningful and aligned career and life. Now let's dive into today's show. Our guest today is Patty Dayleg. Patty is a self-love coach and DEI consultant. She is a Dharma and hot yoga instructor and is currently based in New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Patty. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yes, I am so excited to have you on the show. I feel like this has been many moons in the making. We've been talking about this. And so the way that Patty and I know each other is that Patty was my coach back in 2019. And it's so exciting to have you on the show. And it's funny, we're shooting this in the apartment where once upon a time, I was a puddle on my couch that is right next to us having conversations with Patty on the phone, being coached and trying to figure out my life and sort out the next stage of my career. And so it feels like a very full circle moment right now to be in this totally different career path. And now to have Patty on the show and have this great conversation. And, you know, in many ways, I like to credit Patty as the one that's been inspiring me to do a lot of the things I've been doing. And I, I like to say I'm just following Patty around. <laughs> <laughs> Patty is, was the one that kind of inspired me to do the Dharma Yoga teacher training. I did the same um, health and life coach training as Patty. And we're in the same business coaching program right now. And so it's it's been this wonderful evolving friendship. And I am super lucky to have Patty in my life. And it's been so cool to kind of watch our journeys kind of evolve over time. So I am really, really excited for this conversation and to be able to share a little bit of Patty and her journey and um, and our paths as self-love coaches. So super excited to get into it. It really does feel like a full circle moment. And I'm looking at your plants now and at your this painting that you have in your home of these orchids. And I remember you being on the couch and talking about the painting <laughs> and noticing in high moments and low moments, but just getting to see you at that stage of your life and getting to see when you did actually make that leap, Mm -hmm. um, when you did do the training, when you did get to just like make the 
transition into the life that you really want. Um, it's been an honor to witness that. So it really does feel like this full circle moment. Awesome. I was just thinking my plants were my anchor when we were in like our first coaching session. So funny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I don't know if you've told your guests what an anchor is, but it is still something that I do with every single one of my clients. Um, I have not. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) So an anchor is something in your physical environment that really helps you when you're in those moments of, I don't know, like what I'm going to do next, or I don't know, like why I said yes to this thing or why I'm doing this. And you're just like feeling a little bit lost. It's a way to anchor into your why um, and to just like press pause on that kind of uh, dialogue that happens in the mind of um, like worst case scenarios and the whys and everything. It, it really is like grounding so that anchor is really beautiful. And like, it's so funny that it's the thing that I'm looking at now. Like talk about full circle. Amazing. I love that so much. Yeah. Anchors are definitely one of the things from our coaching that I still utilize today. Like, I feel like my plants are still my anchor. Mm. I still have like the notification popping up on my phone with like the, the, the words have changed, but we created like an I am statement back when I was uh, doing coaching with Patty. And I think it was, I am energized, self-aware and positive. And now it's, I am energized Inflow and abundant is my current version. I love that. You know, you said that you kind of follow me, but I don't know if I told you that like I became a plant mom after coaching with you. Oh, <laughs> like before we met, I had never had a house plant. Oh, mm-hmm. and now I'm a whole plant mom. I have like 30 plants. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, I feel like we're we're playing like trading trading back and forth yeah. now. Uh, so I I love that it's so true. We, we're definitely like inspiring each other here mm-hmm. and there, and it's uh, yeah, it's been amazing. So I want to get started with um, kind of the journey that brought you to where you are now, and I wanted to focus in on how you got into coaching. And it's so funny because we were talking before this, and I was like. One of the things I've never asked Patty is how she became a life coach. And I don't know why we never talked about it before, but maybe it's just for this moment is what we came to the conclusion on. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's just been this like funny little curiosity that I never asked you before. So here we are now. So Patty, take it away. (laughs) Yeah, here we are. Um, Like a lot of the careers and changes that I've made in my life, I kind of fell into coaching. Mm -hmm. So when I discovered it, I was working in nonprofit and um, I was working at a coalition, this nonprofit downtown, and we had this shared space. My supervisor at the time, her name is Noylin. We collaborate now. Um, She was in coach school. Mm. And so during lunch breaks, she would do practice coaching sessions. And I had no idea what that was at the time, but I overheard one of her conversations with a practice client, probably another student, where she was inviting them to look in the mirror and say, I love you. Mm. 
And when I heard that for the first time, I remember sitting at my desk and hearing her behind me and literally like turning around 180 and being like, what is this conversation? (laughs) (laughs) Like, who, first of all, who does that? Like, who looks themselves Mm -hmm. in the mirror and like says things like that? And this was my like uh, 2016 brain. I was like, who, what is this? And why are you telling someone to do this? What is that for? And so I was asking her all the questions. Um, at the time we were doing advocacy work. And so I was like, this is not anything to do with legislation. <laughs> I know you're on your lunch break, but like, what are you doing? And so I explored it a little bit more. And once I learned that coaching was a thing and at the time she was training to be a health coach and I had been on my own kind of health journey that I can talk about later it just became something that I really wanted to do and it ended up actually that I built my coaching career right alongside my diversity equity and inclusion career so much so that my first day of training with coaching school was also my first day of work in government hmm. mm-hmm. and yeah i also hired my first coach around the same time that i decided to be a coach <laughs> there was something about wanting just the training just for my own work. I think when I was doing it, I didn't even have the intention of becoming a coach professionally. Mm. Um, I wanted to be in the energy of like having a conversation of like telling yourself, I love you in the mirror. And there's so much more to coaching, of course, but like, that's the energy that, that really stuck with me around coaching. And, um, For me, it was like, oh, wow, like, what are all these different questions that we can ask ourselves? How can we be in conversation with another person who is going to see us in a way that we've never seen ourselves? How can someone believe in us until we can believe in ourselves? Um, And so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, I, my first coach was when I was in a, was managing for the first time. So when I transitioned from nonprofit into government, I was then leading at the time interns and it became a bigger team um, later on. But I really credit my first coach to like having the comfort of like sticking my landing. Mm. And that's kind of what I coach on now. Something we were talking about before too, is that often if you become a coach, you are than helping other people with the things that you needed help with early on in your journey. And you said something so beautiful, which is that it's like we are coaching our previous selves. Yeah. So that's, I mean, the like complete, like mind blowing moment of looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you, like hearing someone invite someone else to do that for the first time for me. Um, really spoke to what I needed in that moment. And it was around self-love as a foundation for then the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, you bring up self-love and 
that's such like kind of, I think for both of us, that has been a huge foundation to the work that we do because it's like that, that relationship that we have with ourselves is so important. And it's like, I think most people have a very like tumultuous relationship with themselves. And it's like, I feel like the work that you and I did together was kind of the first time that I was stepping into that idea of like, oh, we can love ourselves, like we can care for ourselves in this way. So can you talk a little bit more about what self-love has meant to you and what your journey has been like to really finding that? Yeah. So for me, self-love has been a lot to do with body image. When we met, I was like the skinniest I had ever been. And I have o- like always been on like a quote unquote weight loss journey. I, um, I've always been like bigger than everybody else. And I grew up in a Filipino community where everyone was like stick thin. And so it was the way that I felt different. Um, it was the way that I felt like invisible, but also like really visible (laughs) you know like I feel like I stuck out a lot and it stopped me from really feeling like deserve is not like the right word but I almost didn't really believe people when they wanted to be my friend or if someone had like a romantic interest in me I, I didn't really believe it growing up um And I kind of leaned into being like really smart. I was a valedictorian in high school, you know, (laughs) leaned into like, oh, how can I perform for you? How can I do all of this? And all of it is like this way of telling the world, like, please love me, you know, so much so that on my 25th birthday, I found myself having to get emergency gallbladder surgery. Mm. And it was because I had done like a weight loss program at a gym that required like way too much protein and not enough greens. Wow. And a lot of physical activity that made me lose a fair amount of weight really fast in a way that my body was not supported. Mm. And so I had gall like really awful gallstones um and on my 25th birthday had to get them taken out wow and so it was a lot to do with like oh slow down you know (laughs) and connected to other people I was um seeing someone at the time and it was one of those situationships where it's really unclear I look back on it now and I think he was being nice and not like outright rejecting me, but kind of stringing me along, Mm. which when I had my surgery, he didn't even visit me in the hospital. And that was his way of like drawing a boundary, which I get, Mm -hmm. but also that's really awful. (laughs) That's an awful thing to do to a person, like not even as a friend, you're going to visit them. And so that was the first moment that I picked myself. You know, I had this whole body thing, but the more important thing to me in that moment was saying like, oh, like this person is not going to love me, but that doesn't mean that love isn't available to me. Mm. 
that I can look for that somewhere else. And maybe if I just cut this person out now, like if I draw this boundary, if I end this situationship, then I'm going to be creating space for actually what is there for me. That moment is the first time that I, that I like really think of like loving myself. And later on, I learned the definition of self-love or of love. And it's actually after we, you and I met. So -hmm. in 2020, I had a client um, who was telling me about All About Love, which is a book by Bell Hooks. Yes. And in that book, Bell Hooks talks about how we as a society don't even want to define love. We don't even want to put a definition around it. And part of the reason is that it's it's so big, right? Mm-hmm. It's such a big thing that if we define it, then we make it small. But at the same time, what that does is we um, have experiences that we think are love, but they're actually not. Mm. And so I wrote it down and I want to get it right. Um, love, according to Bell Hooks, and I think she gets it from M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Traveled. Ah, uh, So she defines it as the act of nurturing one's spiritual growth. And where she defines a spirit is where the mind, body, and soul meet. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't that so great? Yeah. So one, love is action, Mm. right? It's the act of nurturing your spiritual growth. And that's why looking back, I was like, oh, the first time that I held this boundary and said, I'm choosing me by not being in relationship to you, I was choosing myself. That was an act of love. Yeah. So it's not just a feeling that we get. It's not just the butterflies. The butterflies are part of it, right? Um, In romantic love. But she also talks, Bell Hooks also talks about it being compassion, about love being care, about love being awareness. I think of that as like attention, right, to our needs, Mm -hmm. Um, about honesty, respect, and trust, all key components of love. And so I'm so thankful to my client for introducing that that book to me because it really is affirming of that part of my journey and is something that is the foundation of the work that I do now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that quote. I think it's so powerful because whenever I think of self-love, I think of like choosing yourself. And that's the act that you're talking about, that action that we can take where it's like we're actively choosing to care for ourselves, to nurture ourselves. So I firmly agree with that definition. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And the thing about choice is that there's an inherent power in it. Mm, Yes. Right. Like you can't love from a place of powerlessness because then there's no choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so along those lines, because you brought up compassion as well. And, you know, we both come from Dharma Yoga, and which is very much based in Ahimsa, which I, I like to define a lot as like compassion as being the core of all of that. Um, and something that you were saying to me earlier was this idea of the dichotomy of Ahimsa and Tapas. 
And so ahimsa meaning, like, if we think about it as like compassion, tapas is kind of this idea of like, um, it's kind of like the the fire that keeps you going, right? Like you use the word discipline. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this, this idea of like, how do we balance out between ahimsa and tapas? Mm, yeah. The first thing I would say is to throw out any idea that they cannot coexist, mm. right? Because ahimsa is the first yama. Tapas is the, if I'm getting this right, third niyama. I believe so. So they, <laughs> they are part of, they're both part of the foundation of like a yoga yes. based life, right? Like the way that you live is both compassionate and disciplined. If we think about that in the context of what we're talking about, self-love, right? Yes. There's compassion for where you are in the moment and all the things that got you here, all of the things in the universe that made you and got you to this moment and all of the things that you did to get here. So all the things that you, Jessica, did to get from the puddle on the couch to interviewing me in the chair, having compassion for that entire journey, the highs and the lows, and the discipline of choosing compassion and the discipline of continuing to choose yourself moving forward. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that so much because it's it's so true because like we look at it from like the X to the Y but there's all these little tiny choices in the middle of that that keep you moving forward and keep you choosing yourself, as you said. And they're all important. And and even beyond, like, you know, we were talking about this idea of like, how do we find purpose and meaning like through all of those stages, right? Like from the time when I was a puddle on my couch, you know, like how do I respect like that version of myself and like care and have, hold compassion for the person I was then, right? And also, of course, like care for the person I am now. But it's like that, I love that kind of continuum mm. of saying like all of them deserve kind of that tender loving care, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like when you can soften, when you can show yourself that tender loving care, then you can anchor and then you just go and do what you have to do, which is another thing that Dharma says, right? Mm -hmm. You, oh, I forget what his words are, but it's something along the lines of like, you do the action you because do it, it needs to be done. You do it because it has to be done, not mm -hmm. for the fruits of your actions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you can do that once you have that compassion. Right. Yeah, I think that's why like, for both of us, like that's, that's our foundation, right? Like that's the bedrock in which everything else that we can create gets created off of, right? It's because we have love and compassion for ourselves that we can then can like grow these like beautiful lives that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about what has it, what has it been like for you to kind of apply that idea? Like how has it been for you to kind of see I guess, meaning and purpose through all the different aspects and the discipline that has come into like creating the life that you have now? Mm, that's a good question. 
Well, if we're we're thinking about it in the context of career, mm-hmm. um, until about 2017, I did something different every year. I was in the pharmaceutical industry for a year. I volunteered with AmeriCorps for a year. Mm-hmm. I was in a school full time running um, educational programs in a fourth grade classroom and like monitoring recess. (laughs) I was a registered lobbyist and doing like legislative work. And then I've found myself in, um, in government and doing DEI work. And I was there for four years. And my latest kind of position after that and before my full-time work as a coach now was doing that same uh, DEI work on Broadway. And the thing that I, uh, that I took from that journey was one, like the value of experimentation, right? Mm -hmm. But also noticing, looking back and noticing what were all of the themes there? Mm Mm-hmm. And this is something, a reflection that I did just preparing for this conversation um, and also connecting self-love with uh, career and kind of leadership, which is where I kind of coach now. Yeah. Which is that my work has almost always been in service of racial and social justice. And... The other part of it is that I somehow, no matter what position I was in, was somehow finding myself advising and providing space for women of color in leadership positions. Mm. These like really badass, powerful women in to just like shine in their work. And I did that in when I was in pharma and when I was in all these other different positions. And so for me, looking back, that's my purpose. Like no matter what position I'm in, no matter what my job title is, those are the two components that make up like what I am here to do and what I'm here to create in the world. If we apply the idea of self-love to that, And my journey is specifically around body, right? Mm -hmm. Like body love or accepting where I'm at in terms of like how I look. Then if I am in a space with, say, an executive director and I am worried about whether she thinks she's thinking all of like the fat stereotypes, right? If she Mm -hmm. thinks that I'm lazy or she thinks that I'm undisciplined because those are the things that we think of like natural, mm-hmm. not naturally, but we have been... The societal kind of like yes, verbiage. We have them. been accustomed to that. We have been taught that, that that is what you associate with a person with a, with a body that is, you know, a size, I'm like a 14 now. If I'm thinking about that in the room, then how can I hold space for this person? Yeah. <laughs> right? If I'm distracted by that, then how can I hold space for this person to do their best work? How can I benefit more liberation of people of color if I am caught up in my own thoughts of not feeling good enough? Mm. 
And those thoughts are very valid because there are there's an actual disparity in pay for women who are larger. Yeah. Like that's a real thing. Yeah. Something like 10% pay. There's like a 10% pay gap mm -hmm. for women who are larger. And so that's a very real thing, right? But what do I do about that is I I love myself and and by nurturing my own body and my own spirit and my own mind, what helps me to show up? And that might mean sometimes that my body gets smaller, depending on, you know, what are the things that I'm doing to care for myself, but sometimes no. And allowing that to be part of my journey while not distracting me from the person in front of me. Mm. That kind of balance and that continuum and the connection between compassion and discipline. That is a beautiful answer. And I mean, it's, it is really powerful, right? Like that ability to kind of, we step into the hard parts of life, I feel like as coaches, so that we can learn and kind of create from that space, like finding self-love and all these things. So then we can help others is how I often see it. Yeah. It's like, we have to trailblaze that path for the sake of our clients. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really beautiful what you said, because that's what I was, what was coming through for me as you were talking about it, is that courage to really, you know, find, find the love for yourself first and go through that journey and be able to come out of the other side. And, you know, obviously it's, it's not like a, and now I'm done kind of thing, but it's definitely a, you know, we, we lean into the good and find the ways that we can help others do it. So I just want to applaud you for that because I think that's so beautiful, the way that you can, you know, find, find that space to be able to show up for yourself and for the people that you're helping then. Mm, thank you. Yeah, sometimes it's hard. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's real hard. And sometimes you just like, for me, like sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to show anyone my body today mm. you know like I just want to be behind the screen but who am I helping then and who benefits is the question mm. right if it's not my clients who are benefiting somebody is still benefiting from that and it's definitely I mean people who are trying to sell my clients things right <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah all those like all the the things that are getting sold to us to like fix our problems. Right. And it's like, that's what I think is so powerful is the ability that we all can fix it. It's all within ourselves. Right. And that, I think that's really what you and I learn and teach, right. Is mm -hmm. the ability to like, find it within yourself, that courage, that ability to like stand up for yourself and, and find that love for yourself. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So I know a big part of, like, right along those lines, I know a big part of what you do is help people with imposter syndrome. So do you feel like, because I feel like that's almost like a pivot off of what you were just talking about, right? Like imposter syndrome is that idea of being able to, like, show up as your full self in the room, whether it is of, around body issues or not. So can you talk a little bit about what it's been like working with people and helping them through imposter syndrome? Yeah. Oh, imposter syndrome is so common. 
And I think it's a misnomer. Mm. Um, it's not a syndrome at all. Actually, when the researchers who first like coined the term or found this phenomenon, they called it imposter phenomenon, mm. not syndrome. Somewhere along the line, we called it a syndrome. And the problem with calling it that is then it makes us the problem. Yeah. Right. It says like, there's something wrong with you. It pathologizes it. But if it's so common and it's so universal, then it cannot be about you. (laughs) So it's this experience that when you come into, for example, a new leadership position, and there are a few folks who I've worked with who are either um, they've been freelancing, but now they want to do their own creative project, or they've just gotten a promotion, or they're they're doing something new. I've even worked with someone who at first we were talking about career, but she started dating someone and she was having imposter syndrome in her relationship. Yeah. To say like, oh, what if I, if I show, if I'm vulnerable, then this person might not like that, that me. And so like, what do I do then? You know? And, and so it's, it's been really great because It's this journey of allowing us to see ourselves in a different light, right? That, for example, that client who is in a leadership position for the first time, she hustled her way there. You know, she was already doing the work and then got kind of the recognition. And that's also my story that I was doing the work and got recognition and then was given a promotion and almost said no to it. Mm. (laughs) There's some thing in that transition of like trying to stick your landing that shows us ourselves. And so it's a really beautiful thing to coach on because once you have that feeling, it's pointing to, oh, this is the thing that makes me want to be small. But I'm being pulled to actually show up bigger. And so how do I like fill my, fill that space? One of my teachers says, how do I hold the pose, right? Like how do I hold the pose of a leader? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So for me, there was one time that I um, said no to a promotion. And six months later, I found myself doing the work anyway because we just didn't hire someone for that role. And at the end of the day, my boss at the time said, look, if we hire someone for this for this deputy position, I'm not going to put them above you. You're still going to be doing the work. And I was like, okay, and just kind of ignored it. A few months later, I went just walked into her office and said, very offhand, I feel like I'm the deputy. Mm. She's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> She's like, so I can give you this position now? That's hilarious. And then, you know what? It was a $20,000 raise and I was doing the work anyway, which means that I lost $10,000 to my imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because for six months, I just didn't lay claim to that, that position because I was scared of it. Because I didn't think that I could do it. That me in my like set of skills and my like way of showing up like I didn't feel that I was capable of that thing 
And that's very common for imposter syndrome, which is like you are actually doing it and people are actually recognizing you for it. But there's something about you that doesn't believe it. Right. Right. It's that disparity mm-hmm. between like what is happening and where you are in your own mind is like a disconnect. You're like, I'm not that version yet. Yeah. Like I can't be X, Y, Z thing. That's not me. Yeah. And how can you be in your purpose if you're like, oh, that's not me. But there's some future version of you who that is. And so in coaching, it's like, okay, so how do we become that version? Or how do we uncover that version who's already there? Like you said, like Mm -hmm. she's within us. But how do we take the steps to like actually be that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, two things that I was like, I was like notating as you were saying that, because there was so much coming up for me. I, I love what you're just saying. But one of them was when you were talking about be, like how we make ourselves small. And I feel like that is, that's something that I've been like thinking about a lot. You know, there's so many ways in which we can make ourselves small, right? Like we're a little too afraid to really show up as like that full version mm. of ourselves. And so like, I just wanted to note you saying that because I think it's really, it's really powerful to notice that, right? To say like, oh, I'm making myself small and like, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm. Like that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like little ways in which we were doing that all the time. You know, like I was thinking recently how like my struggle sometimes with like showing up on social media is because I'm making myself small, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm like afraid to sh- feel like really put myself out there, you know, and there's so many other ways in which we can do that. Yeah, so many. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily something we do on purpose. Like you yeah. probably don't open Instagram and think I'm going to be small today <laughs> and not post. <laughs> it's in the body, right? It's in our subconscious. It's like really a trauma response Mm -hmm. to being a person in these bodies in like let's just say like we are both Asian women living in the New York City metropolitan area in a world that is led by white men yeah and so with that context like it makes sense that to make yourself small is to survive Sometimes mm-hmm. when you were in your corporate job, sometimes you had to be small in order to just make it through the day. Yeah. There were times when I was in um, my last position on Broadway, which was, uh, it was great. And it was also very challenging coming into an industry that was so traumatized from the pandemic. Mm. They went from working not at all, you know, being completely shut down to having to mount an entire production in like six weeks, maybe 10 weeks. And that whiplash, you Mm. know, Um, plus having conversations about race for the first time ever professionally, like at work. And then me coming into this space as like supposedly the diversity expert, right? Right. There were times when I was like, oh, the thing that I really want to do is just not possible. 
And so sometimes I just didn't even broach a suggestion or sometimes I didn't even ask. Or if I asked and it was met with um, pushback, then I would just say, like, just put my hands up and like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that that was a way for for me to survive being in this environment. Um, and that's okay. That That's what I mean too about compassion for like letting the decisions that you've made in the past be okay. Yeah. Oh, that's really powerful. It was making me think of like times in my corporate career where I would be afraid to like speak up in meetings or like, you know, especially if there was like leadership around, especially early in my career, because I was just like, I don't know if my question is stupid, you know, and I'm judging myself before I can even open my mouth. Mm. Right. And it's like, how often is, is it, it's hard to take up space. And um, yeah, you know, absolutely. There's definitely the element of being women of color that we were kind of in a way trained to be small, right? To to take as little space as you can, mm-hmm. to be grateful for what you do get, but also like we needed to kind of fit in our box and not make too much noise. Yeah. There's definitely that kind of, I don't know, like word verbiage kind of being like fed to us, I feel like. Yeah. And I mean, there's also this element, right, that we're both children of immigrants. Mm. And that is absolutely the narrative that's that's been, that's been given, especially in today's climate. And absolutely. so how do we how do we combat that? You know, how do we how do we take up space? And sometimes it's not forcing yourself, right? Like not forcing yourself, for example, to show up on social media. Mm -hmm. For me in in that context, not forcing myself to push my own agenda because that doesn't feel good either. But it's to like flow with the situation. Yeah. And sometimes it's choosing yourself and sometimes it's, I mean, you're always, the, the challenge is to choose yourself at, at all moments, right? But sometimes choosing yourself looks different. Yeah, it that goes along with the other thought I was having off of what you said earlier, which is like trying to show up as our authentic selves. And I feel like that's, it's like, um, it's powerful, but it's also confusing sometimes. Say more. Because it's like, we want to be fully authentic, but it's like, you know, with all the layers of like society and all these different things, it's like, it's, it's, it's a navigating an ever-evolving thing, I feel like. It's like, how do I show up as my authentic self today? Which is going to be different from how I tried to do it like a week ago, you know, because of different things that I'm going through or just like what feels true for me today is not how what felt true for me a week ago. You know, mm-hmm. like a week ago, I did not want to even approach you know, social media, let's say, as an example, right? But this week, it's like, oh, being my authentic self is showing up there. And I'm going to do that. And so I feel like it's, it's definitely, it's a journey to trying to do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would also say that you're not like, choosing in advance, you know, like what's authentic to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, maybe you'll be guided by some values. But you're not like going in 
to every single situation with like an idea of what your authentic self is. And I would say the same about purpose. I was really lucky in grad school. One of my best friends sent me a video from um, Cal Newport, who he's like a Silicon Valley speaker. He wrote deep work. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this talk about how finding your passion is bad advice mm, or yes. following your passion is bad yes. advice. And the whole premise of it is that like, you don't just like sit in a room, decide what your passion is and then, <laughs> and then do it. You know, it's why we all like, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I was pre-med in college. I did know that. Yeah, I did everything except hit submit on my applications. I took the MCAT I and did well enough to go to school. I did all the prerequisites. I did all the labs. Um, got all my recommendation letters. I did all of that. And then I realized that it took me so long and I was dragging my feet the entire time. And I talked to someone, I think someone who was in med school at the time. And he said, do it if you love it. Mm. And I said, I don't love it. Like the actual process of preparing just to get into school was so painful for me that it was worth letting go. Mm. And so the version of me who like grew up saying I wanted to be a doctor who was like following my passion around science and taking care of people thought that that was the path. But it turns out like it's a completely different path. And I was experimenting the entire way since then. but you don't choose in advance. For me, it was like, how do I find what is in alignment with like where I'm at currently? If if that is staying, then amazing. And I, there were a few things that I did that I stayed. For example, I was in government for four years and I've been a coach since 2017. So this is actually the thing that I've been doing the most, the longest in my Mm. entire career. But finding like, okay, the next step, is that aligned? And do I get to just say yes to that or no to that? And for me, that's been the thing that's been helping me to find purpose. And it's been it's given me the ability to look back and find that my purpose is something that I generated and not like thought of in advance. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's always so curious, right? That idea of like, if we're trying to create where we're going, it's like, we can't really create like 10 steps ahead, right? It's more like, well, what can I do now? And and how can I kind of craft and shift and transform it into what I want it to be? But like, it's all about what where you are right now, right? It's not like, that's why I always found the question, like, where are you going to be in five years to be so trivial? <laughs> It's like, who on earth knows the answer to that question? And do you actually live up to that question? Like, I mean, God bless you if you do. Like, that's cool. But like, at least I think in in terms of that, to what you're talking about, this idea of like finding your purpose and and really transforming your life. I feel like it's it takes a lot of twists and turns to get there. Right. And I love what you were saying, though, about like being able to look back and you're like, oh, I see the threads now. 
like, oh, there was this kind of through line that like I was I was doing this kind of supporting of leadership throughout my career. But it, it is interesting because often oftentimes we don't see that in the moment, right? You see it when you look back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but the I mean the beautiful thing is now that I see that and now that it's clear to me, I can do that on purpose. Mm. I I get to choose that, you know? Say more. Like I get to say, oh yeah, I'm a self-love coach. And we were talking earlier about like, oh, are you a self-love coach or a leadership coach? And it's like, you know, self-love is part of leadership. And it's, I mean, leadership has been along that journey, but so has self-love. They're like two threads of the same rope for me. Yeah. Yeah. That I can now do that on purpose. Like I get to say, like, I am working with leaders to that, to like, love themselves more and anchor themselves in so that they can show up confidently and in a grounded space that like the Sunday scaries don't have to intimidate them anymore. So when you say that you feel right. So it's like you see that that was what was occurring throughout the past. But now going forward, it's like you get to own that space is almost Mm -hmm. what it is. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'll ever if I ever take a job again, you know, I'm working as a coach and a consultant full time, like taking on projects that um, feel good to me. I don't think that I will ever take on a job that does not include either working and advancing social and racial justice or supporting women of color leaders. If it doesn't have at least one of those two things, then maybe it's not for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's interesting, the idea of like um, that, you know, the past, it's like we kind of just like navigated as best as we could. But it was kind of like, a oh, now we'll go here and now we'll go there kind of thing. But now it's like now that we're more, I guess, conscious of it. It's like you get to craft your destiny. Mm-hmm. I like to think of it as mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, like I want to have these elements in whatever I'm doing because that's what really lights me up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's there's something that is really beautiful about that like experimentation phase because you kind of just see what you like and what you don't like, what works for you, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then once you know, you can't unknow it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. You can't then go against yourself because then that's not love, right? That's right. not self-love. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think that's the power of self-love, right? It's it's really tuning into yourself like more and more and really understanding like what really works for you, what really lights you up. And you're right, you can't unknow that. And then you get to just do more of it. And like that's I think that's what's so amazing. It's like turning up the dial and being like, I just get to do more of the thing that lights me up. Yeah. Yeah. And like if we think about I'm thinking of like when you're talking about social media mm-hmm. and like how we're showing up. Social media does not give me joy. Real. Yeah. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> it doesn't bring me joy to create in that way. Um, and so I'm in an amazing position where I have hired someone to help me with it. And they're not doing all of it, right? But they're they're giving me guardrails to how I should think about it. They're doing all the technical pieces. I get to then 
do the ideating and I get to then do the actual like coaching as opposed to like writing the captions, you know, (laughs) like doing the actual things. This whole thing of like, once you know, you can't unknow applies to like the big things, but it's also the little things. And I say this, of course, from a very privileged position. Um, But for someone who, for example, is in a corporate job and they have um, a set of tasks that they are required to do, how can you find a little bit of joy or a little bit more joy in the things that are just not enjoyable? I remember when we first were coaching, you were like, I'm in a spreadsheet all day. I hate it. (laughs) And we talked about taking a walk in the park in the middle of the day. How can you bring in a little bit more pleasure for you so that it's not completely depleting? Yeah. And is there a part of your current reality that is enjoyable? And can you give that more attention? Is there space for that in your work? And if not, then you work with Jess to leave your job. <laughs> and then when you're when you land there, you work with me to figure out like, okay, what now? That's right. That's right. <laughs> we'll just like we'll just usher you through our coaching. <laughs> no, I love that. It no, it's true. It's it and you know, you bring up a good point of just how it it's not you don't have to blow up your life. It can just be little tweaks. And just like making those modifications that make it support you a little better, right? Like t- turning down the dial on like the things that really don't bring you joy and turning up the dial a little bit more on like what really does bring you joy in, in what you do. Yeah. Yeah. One of my clients says uh, that she's just feeding the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> and she's doing the things that she has to do, sure. But she's not giving it the emotional, like, turmoil. Mm. And I feel like that's a big source of suffering is, is like, having so much emotional turmoil around the circumstances that we can't control. Absolutely. Our coach says, let your job just be your job. Yeah. But she's also a coach in how to leave your job to start your business. So it's, yes, like... You're moving towards the thing that you want, but you cannot do that while also completely hating your current reality. That's not compassion. And that's actually the practice of compassion is, yes, you are on your way to making a transition. Yes, you're making change. But part of that is honoring exactly where you're at. Again, because only the version of you that is exactly where you're at is able to make that transition. And there's a lot that you did previously to get to this point to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. No, it's it's so important to find that gratitude for mm. where you are today. Right. And I, I think that can be really challenging for people when they really hate what they're doing right now. But the, to your point, like there's a certain amount of like, you worked your way to where you are now. Like you put in all this effort to that. And that also deserves your gratitude and appreciation for all the versions of you that got you to where you are right now. Yeah. I'm thinking about Konmari, Marie Kondo. Yeah, and yeah. How she says like when you are 
when you are releasing or like letting a piece go, you know, if you're cleaning out your closet and you're throwing away a shirt or donating that shirt, she's not saying like, I'll burn it. You know, <laughs> she's saying to say thank you to it because at some point it brought you enough joy that you brought it into your life. Mm, and yes. now that it's not, that's okay, but you got to say thank you to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time. So is there anything that we haven't covered off on that you would like to share? I think we're okay. You know, I feel like we covered a lot. Yeah. Yeah. More than I anticipated, actually. <laughs> it was just great. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our final questions. So your first question is, how would you describe your current relationship to yourself? Ooh. My current relationship to myself is... I'm in a moment of discovery, I think, Mm. that paying of attention to what I need in the moment. I have a ton of spaciousness to be able to do that. And particularly in the morning, um, I'm exploring what it would look like to have a morning routine. Mm. Um, And it's different each time, but I do need something in the morning to connect me back to me um definitely some silence and definitely some movement um some reflection and some hot tea even if it's odd day <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm all about that that's too. looking like yeah yeah so it's, it's some discovery i love that amazing mm. all right what is something that you are currently working on That's a great question. I am currently working on a few different projects. Uh, One with a small business, some uh, with uh, some foundations, some nonprofits. And really, I'm looking at people who are leading for the first time and who are just like, okay, now what? Um, and so I'm coaching them through and I actually have space for some private clients. So really working on making space for them, but really calling in those people who are in that position, especially women of color. In these past few years, there's been way more um, attention on who are we bringing into our organizations. This like racial reckoning, right, mm-hmm. of 2020 made yeah. it so that Um, our leadership positions are a little bit more diverse. But that doesn't mean that uh, women of color coming into these organizations fully prepared for what what that relationship is going to look like with this new organization. Uh, And they may be leading for the first time. So what are the things that they might need to like really anchor and ground so that they can show up confidently? And then how can the organization not be racist (laughs) (laughs) to those new people that are coming in? Um, So, yeah, calling in those types of folks. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I love the work that you do. And I also just want to say, like, it is really something to be said for, like, yeah, being the only person of color, right? Or the only woman of color or the only woman at that table, right? To be in that leadership position. Like, there's... There's a lot to be said for that. And there's a lot of reckoning with Mm -hmm. being in that position. So 
It's a lot to navigate. Yeah. A lot to navigate. And I mean, I'm also working with folks that are, um, they are the only, but they're not necessarily the first. Mm. And so how do they then support the people that they're bringing in? Yeah. Right. And I'm working with a small, one of these um, companies I'm working with is a small business that it's almost exclusively women of color. But Mm. their challenge is they've all come from an all white space. And so how do they not take the toxicity of their old environment into what they're creating now. Mm. Like, how do they actually create something new, not just in their work product, but in how they relate to each other? Amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh, so interesting. All right. Next question is, what do you consider most valuable to you right now? Sleep. Yes, that's so real. Rest. Yes. I look back at my pre-2020 self and realize like I, there were many, many days when I would be out the door at 5 a.m. and I would get home at like 11 p.m. And I would do that multiple times a week because I, you know, I was teaching, um, teaching yoga. I was working a nine to five. Sometimes I had coaching clients after work. Or like I had dinner plans or something, but those were my, that was my day. That was my life for a long time. And there's, there's a lot that the pandemic took from us, Mm -hmm. but it also gave me the chance to have eight hours of rest every night for the first time in my life. Yeah. And it is so precious. I could not agree more. I Definitely sleep is like such a priority. And I I agree, like the pandemic definitely highlighted that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. What is the best lesson that you've learned recently? Oh, there's a stat that I learned. Yes. So did you know that 89% of Americans experience some form of burnout? You told me this right before we recorded, but I'm still amazed by that statistic yeah because I thought it would be a way smaller number yes yeah and that that is telling me like connected to purpose right yeah that it's not just people who hate their jobs who are feeling burnt out it's also people who actually really enjoy their work Mm. but they're just tired yeah um and so how do we continue our purpose right and not like how do I just continue showing to work every day yeah right it's not just about that like we don't dream of labor like I think if we all didn't have to work we might not we might not do it but how do we sustain ourselves like how do we choose ourselves in a way that we can be in our purpose and not just be burned out because burnout is real tough. I experienced it firsthand. How do we, how do we like get to Monday feeling energized? And how do we get to Friday with that same sense? Mm-hmm. Right? Like how do we, what, did, what were those three words again? Energized. Energized, in flow and abundant. In flow and abundant. A person who is energized in flow and abundant cannot be burnt out. Yeah. So how do we access that? So yeah, that stat just like blew my mind. Yeah. Because we're all tired. 
Wait, and there was another stat that you were saying about the Sunday scaries. Oh, yes. Yes. I looked this up because my newsletter, my weekly newsletter called The Sunday Kind of Love is all about like releasing the Sunday scaries so that we can ground and come into Monday feeling like grounded. Um, And it's that 90% of Gen Z and millennials uh, experience the Sunday scaries. That we're so out wild. here in like fight or flight or Sunday night. Our bodies are anticipating pain of the week, whether it is not performing and there's there's that like imposter syndrome stuff, right? Like maybe I won't like do well in this presentation or maybe I won't uh, say what I need to say in this meeting or maybe I'll look stupid or whatever it is or connected to burnout. Maybe it's like, oh, my God. I just like don't want to be here. I just don't want to do it. And those are two different problems, right? But sure. yeah, we're we're not in a right relationship with work in this moment. No. And I think that the, the pandemic really highlighted that. It highlighted our relationship to work. Maybe it changed a lot of people's relationships relationships to work. And now is our moment to to say like, okay, what do we want different? I um, had a yoga teacher named Pamela, who I noticed, I, I was noticing that um, my, uh, one of these standing poses, it's called standing head to knee in, in the hot 26 sequence, you do the same poses every time. And so I noticed that every time I was doing this pose, I would fall out on one side, but I wouldn't fall out on the other. And I was like, Pamela, why is it getting worse? <laughs> like now that I'm noticing it, why is it so bad? Like, why am I falling out more? And she said, well, just because you're noticing it now doesn't mean that it's happening more. It might have been happening the same amount. You're just seeing it. And so it, the feeling of noticing that is bad. And that's why it feels worse. And so I asked her like, okay, so like, should I just there's four four times that we do it, right? Two on each side. Should I just like double up on one side and just not do the rest on the other? She's like, no, no, no. Just just keep doing what you're doing. You just have to apply a little bit of a little bit more mindfulness to the side that you're falling out on, and that actually is the side that has more to teach you. Yeah. So for us, like, if so many of us are burnt out, and if so many of us are feeling the Sunday scaries, we're like in fight or flight mode on Sunday night, then what do we want to do different? And what do we want to just change our relationship with? Mm. Such powerful questions. Mm. I love that. But yeah, it's so true. It's like the noticing itself is not actually making it more prevalent, but the awareness of that is powerful, right? Because it gives you the opportunity to create change. Yeah. Yeah. And like lean into the hard parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. All right. Last question. Okay. What is the number one skill that you believe everyone should work on? Self-love. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. It's a skill. It's an action. It's a practice that you can do at any given moment, right? Like you can choose. If I'm sitting here and I'm uncomfortable, would it be more comfortable to put my feet on a yoga block? That is an act of self-love. 
what boundary do I need to hold? What hard conversation do I need to have? Like what, what is the thing that is going to nurture my spiritual growth in this moment? And there's always a chance for that. Oh, so many beautiful, powerful questions. <laughs> I love it. I hope if you're listening to that, you're tuning into one of those mm. and asking yourself that question. That is beautiful. All right. I could talk to you all day long and we'll probably end up doing another episode at some point, I'm sure. But thank you so much, Patty. It is such an honor to have you on the podcast and to have this conversation. And please first share where people can find you before we wrap up. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jess. <laughs> I remember when you were first making this podcast and you asked me to be on I think you asked me to be your first guest. I did. And I said yes. And then something <laughs> happened. You know, I think it was actually the moment that I was really burnt out. Mm, um, yes. So another kind of full circle moment. But here we are 20-something episodes later. And I have no, had no doubt that our relationship would blossom even more. But it, it just feels like the perfect time to be, to be doing this. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, you know, it's, it's funny because at the time, yeah, I was so excited to have you as my first guest because Patty is, you know, as I said, my little inspiration over here. So I was like, yeah, I want Patty to be the first one. But I think it's, it was so perfect because I think that these interviews happen exactly when they're meant to, mm -hmm. you know, so this is the perfect moment for us to have this conversation. And I, I couldn't be more excited to have people listen to it. Mm, yeah. Dharma says everything is perfect. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Now you still need to share how people can find me. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> um, I don't love posting on social media, but I will receive your messages if you uh, DM me at Malaya Coaching, M-A-L-A-Y-A -A Coaching. Malaya means free or liberated. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. So thank you again, Patty. This has been so wonderful. And I'm so thankful to have you on the show today. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of A Way of Thinking. If you love this episode, please hit the follow button and share this episode with a friend. I hope some of the beautiful wisdom shared today resonates with you and perhaps creates some change in your way of thinking. If you are looking for support in your journey, book a free dream job discovery session with me. Take the first step into following your dharma by clicking the link in the show notes. Remember that I believe in you and I am so excited for the day that you believe in you too. Let's continue learning and growing together.